Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello and welcome to the Women and Manufacturing Podcast. My name is Fran Brunel, and I'm the president of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, Inc., a company that specializes in mergers and acquisitions nationally within the manufacturing sectors, and I am your host for today's show. Today, we welcome to the show Cheryl Corrigan. Cheryl is the Director of Environmental Health and Safety at Coke Industries and also serves on the board of directors of Guardian Industries, a Coke subsidiary. Coke Industries is one of the largest private companies in the United States, employing 60,000 in the U.S. and over 120,000 worldwide, having a presence in 70 different countries. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Hi, Fran. I'm delighted to be here with you today. We're glad that you could be. Introduce our listeners, if you can, to Coke Industries for those who might be living under a rock and not know who Coke Industries is. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about about the company and about what you do for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. I will. But you know what? First, I want to give a shout out. I know that your listening audience is pretty broad across manufacturing. I want to shout out all the women and the men on the front line who have been working throughout this pandemic and done an incredibly hard job in dealing with the challenges over this last year. I think The courage and the creativity that folks have brought to their work to get essentials to people like me across the country is really remarkable. So you all out there are superstars, and I hope you know that. And I, for one, am deeply grateful. So I just I wanted everybody to know that and and to give a big shout out and a thank you. So amen to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can all feel it, right? It's been a pretty, pretty challenging year, but Thank God for the folks on the front line. So a little bit about Coke. So we've been around for 80 years. So a pretty long-lived company. We started as a small engineering firm in the middle of the country in in Kansas that really had its roots in experimentation. And just a, a quick kind of funny story, the founder of our company, Fred Coke, worked in the refining industry, and he came up with essentially a way to refine oil differently. I won't go into the details, but it was a piece of equipment and he was just ready to experiment with it and put it in a refinery. And the the guys who installed the piece of equipment actually put it in backwards. And it turned it turned out to work even better than his original design. And that's how Coke industry started. And so I like to tell that story because it's a really emblematic story of our company. We're all about trying things, experimenting, innovating, and coming up with ways to make our products and our processes the best that they can possibly be and better, of course, than our competitors. So so we started as a small engineering firm, and now we have eight operating companies. We're the largest privately held company in the United States with over $115 billion in top-line revenue. So pretty big. So started pretty small, got pretty big. We make a whole bunch of different things. We make some consumer brands that you would recognize. So brawny paper towels, Angel Soft, Northern Bath Tissue, which was pretty hot seller in this last year, as we all know. Also Dixie, and so Dixie cups and plates. But we also have products and services for the business-to-business 
sector. So we make electronics and connectors. We also have a software company that specializes in ERP. We make medical devices, automotive and building products, transportation fuels, fertilizer, and petrochemicals. So at Coke, we always kind of joke, we're, we're the company that you use a lot of our stuff, but you don't ever really know who makes it because we're mostly upstream in that supply chain. We also have an arm in the company that's focused on finding and investing in disruptive and edge technologies. So we like to use that that base of manufacturing, those, those eight operating companies, as kind of a lab. And we help those fledgling companies that we've identified to either sharpen up and prove their concepts and commercialize or not, depending on, on how things go. So, so there's a lot going on at Coke. I guess when you roll it all up, we're a manufacturing company that's in the process of transforming into a tech company, but we're always going to derive our inspiration and our competitive advantage from our manufacturing roots. So, so that's Coke. Very diversified, incredibly diversified. And I didn't realize how many products are in my home right now (laughs) that are manufactured by your company. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit about what you do there. So I have the Environmental Health and Safety Group. And so that's really a pretty important foundational pillar for us, especially as an operating company. I know many people in your audience recognize that making sure that people are safe and and healthy is job one for all of us. So I help our health and safety guys do that well, which is why I've been so involved in co- in the COVID issues. But also from an environmental standpoint, it's all about making sure that the communities that we operate in want us to be there. So that means not not making nuisance conditions or not meeting our expectations and our permits. Those are things that we don't want to do. And so that environmental pillar is pretty important as well. And then I also have security. So um, for a lot of our companies, our operating company security is a pretty big deal. We handle lots of different kinds of chemicals and processes. And so we want to make sure that, that we keep that aspect in mind at all times. And then I have compliance and ethics. So that's dealing with employee concerns. And then I also have audit and assurance. So wow, that's so a lot. A lot of, yeah, I have a lot One of this those stuff. things would be incredible. A lot of work. Yeah, well, you know what the great thing is? I have an incredible group of people who are a lot smarter than me, who help keep it together every day. So it, it, it's a broad swath of responsibilities, but again, because of the way that we really try to empower our people, my job is really to kind of keep it between the guardrails and to help guide rather than dive too deeply down into the, the doing. Sometimes I have to do that, but, but not very often. Sure. Well, it's still, it's still a lot, especially if you're doing it over eight companies. <laughs> I, have, I have trouble keeping track of my one. Well, you know what's really interesting? So my background is mostly North American, but but now, you know, as you said earlier in the introduction, Coke is an international company. We have operating facilities and also sales offices and and other operations in about 70 different countries. So so without having that great group of folks that, like I said, keep it together every day, I'd be lost. I mean, there's just no way I could keep up with the pace of change in the world today and the expectations across the globe for being a responsible operator, it's a big responsibility. And I'm, like I said, just very grateful that I have good folks. 
Yeah. So I want to dive in a little bit. You spoke about empowering employees. And when you and I spoke before, that was uh, one of the main topics. Talk to us a little bit about Coke's philosophy towards its employees and how you accomplish empowering employees. Yeah. So isn't that, that, that's at the crux of everything that we want to do in leadership, right? So in a nutshell, I guess maybe the best way to answer your question is to really kind of to um, boil it down to one thing. And that is our culture, our company's culture is really centered on the belief that the people closest to the work are the best positioned to solve problems. And in, I, I, I'm sure I could say it in a, in a more elegant way, but, but the guys and women who are doing the work know how to do it. And they also are, are the best resources for ideas on how to do it better. So not just to solve problems, but also to make improvements. And um, Charles Koch, I know you, you did a little research when we were preparing for this and, and you looked at some of the stuff that he has out on the web. He just wrote a book on this and it's called Believe in People. It's a great read if anybody's interested, but it really talks about how it's the people at the center of our company that make it work. And so empowering those people is my job. And so as a leader in this organization, what I try to do or what, what we're all called to do as leaders in Coke is to create the conditions that allow folks to solve problems to allow that to happen. And then, like I said earlier, just get out of the way. And you, you run your own company, Fran, and you know, I've been around for a while and I know your listeners have as well. But as a leader in, in Coke, the secret sauce is really in getting out of the way. <laughs> and that's super hard to do, right? I mean, who wants, because I, I think, you know, hey, I know a thing or two. I've been around the block. But what we try to do at Coke is, is to try to put that knowledge to work. So I have particular experiences and knowledge. Our employees have have experience and knowledge, but the people who work with me have their own set of skills. And we want to pair up that supervisor knowledge with the employee knowledge and get at what what really makes people tick, what they're really good at, and help them then develop those skills so that it gives them personal fulfillment and also helps the company achieve in areas that where they can really help. So it's kind of that mutual benefit. So the more you do that, what we find is it, it creates a cycle that's really beneficial for everybody, kind of uplifting in that way. So 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 that's kind of the empowerance, like just recognizing that people really do know best how to do stuff. And and our job as leaders is to just help them do that and then get out of the way. Yeah, give them the tools they need, give them autonomy and give them permission to make mistakes and don't crush them when they do. Oh my gosh, you got it. Happy, productive humans, right? Right, right. And I mean, I think all back in our, you know, in our own careers and our own lives, remember times when you had a great idea and you thought, oh my gosh, if I could only try this. And you, you know, you kind of rolled it or you went up the chain and and people poo-pooed it or didn't listen. And it is, you know, your word is exactly right. It's crushing. And I'll tell you what, if that happens more than a handful of times, people don't want to raise things up. Right? You just stop That's trying. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. It. So what I find surprising about Coke Industries, and it's as you read through 
the website and some of the conversations that the founders are having around empowering people. This is, at least in my experience, this is very, very rare in such a large company. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have a huge, I don't have huge experience across the board, but I know that you talk to a lot of folks. I think that, I think, I I think it is rare primarily because I think in a lot of large companies, they've adopted very bureaucratic policies to try to keep things together. Right. So, so it almost becomes like a a government quasi government looking organization or even militaristic, very hierarchical where only people at the top get to make decisions. And, you know, you have to go through multiple layers. We've really tried not to do that at Coke back to that, it's the person who's the closest to the work who's probably the smartest about what you want to do. And and so if you make decision-making at the very top, there are lots of different people in between and, and you don't get anything done. And so you miss, and this is the this is the part from a business standpoint that's so important, you miss all those opportunities. And that's what makes us more competitive is that we're able to move quicker and we think that we have better insight necessarily because of the way that we're organized and the way that we operate than our competitors. And from a results standpoint, I think it's true. If you look at the performance of Coke Industries, we've outperformed the S&P consistently by quite a bit since the early 70s. So it's not just a good idea. It actually works. (laughs) That whole, you know, the whole thought process of the bottom up versus the top down, you know, in, in selling manufacturing companies nationally, you look at the ones that are easy to sell and are incredibly successful. There's always systems in place, right? For every function within that manufacturing company, there are systems in place. But what I've also seen is that when those systems were developed by someone at the top who never did the function that, that the system was created for, you end up with a disaster. Because they they don't understand, they've never done the process. They don't, they're not doing it day to day. Those people are the people that can really speak to developing standard operating procedures that work, that work through an organization. So talk a little bit about, you said, allowing people to learn what they're good at. What does that look like in Coke Industries? You told me a specific story that I absolutely loved the last time we spoke. I'd love it if you could share that with our audience. Yeah, so it kind of gets so back to that employee-supervisor relationship. We really, we really want our supervisors and our employees to to get to know each other, and that means understanding, you know, what people are really good at and what they want to do and where they want to develop. And I know that that development is often synonymous with training, meaning, you know, people kind of say, oh, gosh, if I develop or if I train that employee to do X, they're just going to go off and do X for somebody else. And, um, you know, my investment's going to go out the window kind of thing. And we, we think about it differently. That relationship with the supervisor employee hopefully turns into a relationship where the employee really feels like, Man, you know, somebody's somebody's looking out for me. This company's looking out for me. They want me to get better. I want to get better. I want to learn some stuff and they're going to give me the tools to do it, like you said earlier. So so we've been 
really in the middle of all this, we have, and I know a lot of your listeners with the um, industry 4.0 automation technology just blossoming everywhere. And, um, and our employees are right in the middle of it, right? So, so feeling like, oh gosh, you know, where am I going to be five years from now? Where am I going to be 10 years from now? And so what we're trying to do is, is back to that relationship, understand on an individual level, how those employees want to move, move through their, through their career in the company that they're in. And so, we are, we're trying to create those opportunities. So the story that I told you, which is one that I really love, and I have a couple of others. So case in point, a GP, a Georgia Pacific warehouse worker has spent many, many years loading semis with pallets, right? So it's something that we do at, you know, across all of our businesses, we have loading operations and, and logistics operations. We brought in as a result of technology and customers of ours wanting us to improve our loading and our, our ability to pack semis. We brought in laser guided vehicles to help do that. So they could get into areas that humans couldn't get into, right? So they had different capability. So the guy now who had spent, you know, several years of his career loading, now has a helper and ultimately, you know, could have become very fearful that his job was going away. Well, what what was really cool about this was this person was really intrigued by how these laser guided vehicles or LGBs work. So he got pretty smart. He took it on himself to learn a little bit about it. He talked with the controls guys who were programming these vehicles. And now he runs the show. <laughs> he is he is the programmers. So so at our company, if you get if you get an itch and you want to scratch it and it's good for you and it's good for the company, we're going to help you get there if we possibly can. So that investment has paid dividends because he is now, I'll tell you, he's like an evangelist and he's out there talking about how don't be afraid of technology. Technology is great. You get to learn and you get to do stuff that's way more interesting and fulfilling ultimately. But you got to want to do it, right? You got to want to change. You got to want to transform. So, so that's, that's just one example. There's, there's another example that I just read about. I don't know this person on a personal level, but another employee at, at our engineering company, the company that started Coke Industries, he started out as part of the cleaning crew and, um, he got interested in one of the precision cutting laser cutters that, that we use in one of our processes at this engineering company. And today he's writing code for all of them. <laughs> so, so again, you know, it's not, it doesn't just fall out of the sky, but he said, Hey, I want to learn more and I'm interested and I'm going to put in the time. And the company said, okay, we're going to make that investment in you. So, so those are just a couple of examples around tech. We try to do the same thing in other areas too. Yeah. I love that somebody could come in at what most of the world would perceive to be a very low-level job and rise through the ranks. And, and as long as they're showing an aptitude for something and a willingness to go after it, that you have an infrastructure that permits them to do that. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, that that is one thing that differentiates us from those larger companies is that we don't have that a college degree to be X and you've got to have 10 years to, you know, to get to the next step. 
of responsibility or experience. We, we try not to do that. Of course, there's always going to be some amount of structure in any company. But, but what we really try to do is, again, look at that individual, what they're capable of and, and what they actually want to do and how to make it work for them and for the company. That's the key, that mutual benefit. Because if it just works for the employee, it doesn't work. And if it just works for the company, it doesn't work. It's got to work for both. And that's that's the secret sauce, right? It's interesting. You know, I said before that what you see is very rare in a company this size. But I think it has to do with the company is is still private rather than public. And the founders have kept their entrepreneurial approach to life and business. Uh, we've dealt with companies that are very large, publicly traded, doing carve-outs for them. And I tell you what, some of them couldn't make a decision if their life depended on it quickly. Like they, they look somewhere in the process. They, you talked about the, the hierarchy, the structure. There's so many layers of management that you have to get through to get anything done. I remember in one instance, I said to my staff, if I ever take a project from a publicly traded company again, slap me or make me charge double. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. I get it. Well, you know, I used to work for government, so I, I get that. Yeah, yeah, there you <laughs> go. That. Yeah, yeah. One of the other things I wanted to chat with you about, as you were doing your intro, you you talked about how the company seeks out disruptive technologies, which I'm fascinated to talk about, you know, having been in in what I do, I'm going to start my 27th year of business. And I've seen companies wiped out by new technology because they didn't sniff the wind good enough or understand that something was coming down the pike that was going to dramatically alter their business and the sector they were in. So you guys, it sounds like, are actively looking for for disruption. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, again, it, it it's kind of really at the heart of what we do. So that people, you know, being closest to the work also leads us to transformation. So our our vision in our company is all about innovation. And you know, if you if you can, I, I think that there are a couple of videos out there where Mr. Koch, Charles Koch, who runs the company, talks about how creative destruction is always around us, right? If you're in business, and we all are, the ground is literally caving under your feet because there's always somebody who's thinking about a different way to do it better. And how great is that, right? I mean, that's that's what makes us incredible and interesting and, and all of that. So, so in that kind of creative destruction, constant innovation, we, we are always out to look for Number one, the best information that we can find. So really developed and, and are always developing our knowledge networks to try to figure out what's going on. What's our point of view? What's changing externally? What's changing internally? Who knows best, you know, back to that people at the, the center of, of the work. And then we benchmark. <laughs> so And that's something that I'll tell you, a lot of folks that I run into don't do a whole lot of, you get especially if you're successful, it can be really limiting in that you think you're at the top of the life cycle curve and so you, you don't really see things coming. You're not as active. And I'm generalizing here. This is not the case for everyone. But that benchmarking piece isn't as much a part of your world 
as it is when you're first starting your company or when you're on the other side of the life cycle curve when you're in decline. So, so we try to benchmark all the time, try to understand where, where are we in the supply stack? Where are we in, in, in terms of price setting and what can we do? And then we take that information and figure out, are there opt- opportunities to optimize or to buy into a different technology that will be disruptive given our core capabilities? We're not going to look for disruptive technologies or disruption in an area where we're not very good to begin with, because that is just a, <laughs> that's a, a recipe for disaster. But where we do have capability, we're, we're going to actively look there. And then we're also in areas where we don't have capability yet, we're going to experiment and we're going to try. And so we're finding opportunities to learn more as we make small investments about different areas that we weren't involved in. So additive manufacturing was an experiment for us a couple of years ago, and we learned about that. And now we're learning much more about sensing networks and how to apply those those networks to manufacturing problems and to leak detection, for example, and, and some other things. And so, so always looking for more opportunity to disrupt in areas where we really understand things like chemical processing, for example, or pulp and paper manufacturing. We, we know these businesses like the backs of our hands, but, um, but we don't know necessarily other other kinds of manufacturing and other kinds of tech. And so that's where we try to experiment and learn and then get good at it. So so that that whole notion of the world is changing, we gotta change, that is absolutely for sure. But but you can't change the organization without changing each individual in the organization. So that goes back to that believing in people. Yeah, so very true. So with the additive manufacturing, I'm curious, was that something that Coke Industries was not involved in? And so you saw, there was so much buzz about this a few years ago. Not that there shouldn't be, because it will undo some sectors, but a lot of the buzz about it, certain areas of manufacturing just weren't ready for it yet. So just curious, you you guys weren't involved in that, and so you wanted to see what it was all about, or you were involved in it and wanted to learn more? Yeah, so on the additive, so that's 3D printing, or at least that's the context that I have. And so we, through our electronics company, Molex, had additive manufacturing. So it's been used quite a bit in the electronics industry. But in those applications, it's very time-consuming. It takes a really long time to make a single part. And it, I see you shaking your head, so you know where I'm at. And so, so we learned a little bit there and then thought, okay, so the problem to really solve here is you've got to make it speedier. You've got to make it so that, so that the, the cycle time for each individual part is, is in a realm where it makes it cost effective and economic. And so, so that's what we set out to learn and to find out more about. And then also making larger parts. So in the, in the electronics industry, they're tiny little parts. The application that we were looking at was making some fairly significant parts. And now additive manufacturing, we're not involved in this, but I just read an article and I think it's, you know, on the East Coast in your neck of the woods, houses yeah. being pretty printed. Same thing. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so it was through that, you know, first a little bit of knowledge and then experimentation, figuring out what is actually an economic application 
for additive manufacturing in with the the capabilities that we have. So so that's that's a great example. What's next for Coke Industries? Oh, I wish I knew. I... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I'll tell you, there's there's a lot going on. I think, you know, as as I talked earlier, we are always going to have our roots in manufacturing because we really feel like that's where that's how we create competitive advantage. So by understanding and continually transforming in that manufacturing space, that's going to help us understand what technologies are going to be in demand, what kinds of data analysis modeling. All of the all of the data science jargon that you hear around machine learning and artificial intelligence, that's all to help people make better stuff, whether it's an advertising product or an advertising approach or whether it's a 3D printed part. Right. So so that those underpinnings in manufacturing are always going to be with us. But we're looking at at manufacturing different things than we do. So the, the medical field is very interesting to us. We have some experiments going on in there, and we we also have a company that is currently making medical devices for a couple of our customers, and so so that's something that's pretty interesting. There are other experiments going on in other fields of of technologies that are linked to our software company. So understanding different verticals and and getting more more of a sense for what those other verticals and manufacturing would look like other than the ones that we're operating in. And so lots going on. We invested, there was a, an article in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago. We invested in some real estate in Las Vegas to understand that a little bit more. So, so lots of, lots of opportunities. And I, I'll tell you the, the, the world is, is an open or the world is our oyster. As long as those opportunities really complement our core capabilities. So, so that's, that's to us, that's really the secret. It's like, okay, we do, we do a handful of things really, really well. Let's find out where we can apply those capabilities and do it better than the alternative. Because if, if we don't do it that way and, and there's an alternative that's better for, you know, whatever industry or whatever opportunity we're talking about, then by us doing it, if we're not the best possible alternative, it actually destroys value for society, right? The best entity, the best company should be doing whatever that is versus the second best or the third best, because then there's just waste involved. So, so, so who knows, you know, we, Elon Musk, look out. Yeah. A lot of great things on the horizon, I'm yeah. sure. Are, we are blowing right past our time here. We could probably fill up another half an hour. But before I let you go, I would imagine that some of our listeners would be very interested in learning about opportunities that might exist at Coke Industries. And if someone wanted to learn more about that, what should they do? So visit our website at coke, K-O-C-H-I-N-D.com. Or you can visit our career site at jobs.cokecareers, all one word, dot com. And I encourage everyone and anyone to to check us out. And it's just been a pleasure, Fran. I just, I had a great time today. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I, I really wish we <laughs> okay. had more time. You're one awesome. that I'm going to invite back to do another one. So and I hope that I hope that the listening audience really got something out of this. Certainly the workforce development 
initiatives that your company initiates. Just wonderful, absolutely wonderful, and, and so nice to see in a company of your size. So we thank you for joining us, and we want to encourage all of our listeners to look at our website where you can see all of the podcasts that are part of the Jacket Media Company. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and have a great day. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.